KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. There's always a lot of talk about what everyone's going to do if and when weed is legal wherever we live. Maybe it's already legal in your state, but what about all the lives the criminalization of marijuana has altered forever? Too many lives have been upended because of our failed approach to marijuana. It's time that we right these wrongs. President Biden announced a pardon for simple federal violations of pot possession, and he's urging governors around the country to do the same. What did Biden mean when he said our approach has failed? What factors, like how drugs are scheduled, how they're classified, have caused the system to be such a problem? We in the United States um, have a law, a federal law, called the Controlled Substances Act. None of those criteria apply well to marijuana. Scott Burris is a professor of law at Temple University's Beasley School of Law. He also directs the Center for Public Health Law Research. The scheduling in Schedule 1 was never really about medicine, and it was never really about public health. It was a lot of politics, a lot of misinformation, and I think ultimately was a horrible mistake. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In Depth, we look at President Biden's moves on marijuana. Is there substance or is it all smoke? This move by President Biden with regards to marijuana looks like there's kind of three tiers to it. The first one that kind of caught everybody's attention, the president pardoning all federal offenses of simple possession of marijuana. How big is this and ballpark? How many people are we talking? Well, I believe the figures I've heard are about 6,000 people are affected by this. And for those 6,000 people, it's big because having a criminal record is big especially a drug-related criminal record, which can get in the way of everything from student loans to housing, and not to mention just the reputational harm it does. So I'm sure there's a bunch of people who are are happy to have this off their backs. It's probably somewhat bigger symbolically um, in terms of drug policy, because it's yet another signal, this from the highest quarters possible, that tells us that individual marijuana use is not a huge social problem. It may still be a crime, but few people believe that uh, it makes sense to punish people simply because they uh, possessed a small amount of marijuana. In addition, kind of uh, the next tier of things the president said is he kind of put the onus on governors to kind of follow his lead and to, to do the same thing on the state level. And this could be much more impactful from a number standpoint, because it's my understanding when you're talking about, you know, criminal records for marijuana possession, simple marijuana possession, far more people it affects from the state level on down, right? Well, states do a lot more retail drug prosecution and enforcement than the feds do. So yeah, you're going to expect to see a lot more people who have simple or, you know, marijuana possession offenses on their rap sheets. Of course, The other thing to keep in mind is that there probably aren't that many people whose only crime is a simple marijuana possession. So, for example, somebody might have a a roach clip and a a roach on them when they get arrested, and they're charged and potentially convicted of both a drug paraphernalia and a marijuana charge. So they'll still have the paraphernalia charge on their record. The more you, you scale it up, the more it becomes a question of symbolism. That's not to to underestimate the importance for those people who have just a marijuana conviction on their rap sheet. But but overall, we're not 
really talking about decriminalizing recreational drug use here. We're talking, and we're not talking about anybody who had any kind of other wrap, including, you know, a simple sale to somebody, a distribution charge or something like that, let alone somebody who maybe had a greater quantity um, than falls under the lowest grade of simple possession under state law. So it's best to see this as, as yet another symbolic step in the, in the battle over whether marijuana and more broadly recreational drug use should be illegal. Kind of the third tier of the president's declaration was the, he wants the HHS secretary and the attorney general to basically kind of look at how marijuana is scheduled under federal law. And right now it is classified as schedule one for people that aren't familiar, kind of talk about what that means, how it works and what it means to be schedule one. Well, this is the big question. So we'll probably want to go through various pieces of it, but let's just start with, with that. We in the United States um, have a law, a federal law called the Controlled Substances Act. The states have their own versions of, they have their own Controlled Substances Act. And all of these are tied to something called the Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs, which is an international treaty, which is itself a Controlled Substances Act for the world. Um, in those laws, there are things called schedules. And the schedules divide up the world of drugs into categories based on how dangerous they are, that is to say their potential for abuse, and their medical value. Now, there's lots of drugs, including alcohol and tobacco, that aren't controlled substances at all, so they don't even come into this. But marijuana is a controlled substance, and in the United States, it's on what's known as Schedule One. Schedule One is the schedule for drugs that have no currently accepted medical use. They lack safety even when they're under when they're used under medical supervision and they have a high potential for abuse. So other drugs in schedule one include heroin, LSD, peyote, and ecstasy. So changing cannabis from schedule one to some other schedule would already be a dramatic change. Dramatic but also probably realistic. It is it is hard to argue there are no accepted medical uses for cannabis in the United States or that it has a high potential for abuse, let alone that it's not safe to use even under medical supervision. None of those criteria apply well to marijuana. Um, in the past, FDA has refused to reschedule marijuana and has said that there is no accepted medical use in the United States but that's because, in large part, putting a drug on Schedule 1 makes it almost impossible to do the clinical trials that would test its medical use uh, under the FDA system. So there's a bit of a catch-22 here. Overall, if we were starting from scratch and just looking at the available evidence, it seems to me highly unlikely that anyone would ever have put marijuana on Schedule 1 in the first place. Now. This is also a view that has recently prevailed at the international level. In 2020, the global body that regulates scheduling, the Commission on Narcotic Drugs, decided to remove cannabis from its most stringent schedule. 
So in the international system, the possible medical uses of cannabis are now recognized. On the other hand, pretty clearly it's risks are still exaggerated because it's very hard to find anybody who will make the argument that the risks of fentanyl or oxycodone abuse are the same as the risks uh, for marijuana abuse. We've got medical marijuana all over the place. So how do we have, on one hand, marijuana as this Schedule 1 that says no medical value, but a multiple, if not a majority of states have embraced medical marijuana. What's the difference there? What What's happening there? Well, what's going on there is a conflict in our federal system. Now, in theory, well, I shouldn't say in theory, in law, federal law is supreme. The states cannot legalize a drug that the feds have deemed illegal. And although these days our Supreme Court's a bit unpredictable, by conventional analysis, we would assume that it's some, if somebody ever brought a case to the United States Supreme Court that involved choosing whether or not federal or state law on marijuana controls, the Supreme Court would say that federal law controls. However, it doesn't matter if the feds look the other way. And for the last you know, 15 years or so, the feds have been looking the other way. There was, in fact, a congressional instruction to the Justice Department for many years that it should not use any funds appropriated in its budget to go after state medical marijuana programs. At various times, the Department of Justice staff has been under instructions from leadership not to prioritize marijuana investigations and prosecutions. Um, so as long as it doesn't come to a head, the two just go on their own separate ways. Now, it still has really important consequences. None of them are all that good. So if you think, you know, if you, if you look at our national system for making sure that drugs are safe and effective, it centers on the FDA. The Food and Drug Administration has the job of regulating drug companies so that they produce products that are pure, that have been tested in exhaustive experiments and shown to be safe and effective, that come in standard doses, in standard packaging that includes all the necessary warnings and advice and so on, that they're sold by prescription, all those kinds of requirements. Well, we have this medical product, uh, medical cannabis, which the FDA refuses to acknowledge because it's illegal under federal law, which means that there is no well-tested system for ensuring that our medical cannabis is actually a pharmaceutical-grade product. Instead, each state makes up its own little FDA and imposes its own rules. And over the years, that has led to you know, a problem that, that you know, medical marijuana is supposedly a pharmaceutical product, but in fact, it varies quite a bit within states, across states. It's not always clear how well it's been tested, how pure it is. And of course, we continue not to have the clinical trials that would allow um, patients and physicians to better understand where cannabis works and where it doesn't. For that reason, to some, you could say that rescheduling cannabis from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2 in the United States, in other words, doing in the United States what the international system has done, would be a big step forward, because that would mean that the FDA could regulate medical marijuana, and it could 
require pharmaceutical producers to go through clinical trials and all the other steps that, that help produce a safe supply of pharmaceuticals in the United States. Of course, this is not necessarily what current medical cannabis businesses would like, because probably a lot of them would shut down because the FDA would be much more restrictive. And that whole system would, would have to disappear because now marijuana would be just a regular drug subject to the regular system. So <laughs> there may be opponents to the rescheduling within the marijuana industry. Because what the marijuana industry would ultimately like is to be like alcohol mm -hmm. or tobacco, to be outside the scope of the Controlled Substances Altogether, Controlled Substances Act and, and framework altogether. We need to take a break. We will have more with Scott Burris right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. A Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000. This was just unbelievable. You got to understand the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer. This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavitt story. A documentary podcast from C13 Originals, the Cadence 13 studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation with Scott Burris. You read off earlier in our conversation, like the list of Schedule 1 drugs that are along with marijuana. And it is bonkers to me that that forever has been on that level. How did we end up with marijuana being on the, the top of this mountain of dangerous substances? Well, I mean, it's really part and parcel with the whole controlled substances story. So if you step back um, and look at drugs and drug use without regard to legal status, uh, and you're like me, you care about public health uh, and safety, you would say, well, you know, nearly all drugs have risks. Some of them have demonstrable medical benefits. Some of them have hedonistic benefits. They're pleasurable. Or they make people feel better. And so there's a strong drive to use them. We've, in our cultures, most cultures have drugs that have been used forever. I'm a wine drinker and I can trace my, uh, you know, my habit back to Mesopotamia. Drugs have many benefits that most of us enjoy uh, in one way or another. But of course, for some people, they can be highly risky. There are genetic and social factors that lead people to have substance use disorders. And those risks will, uh, and the kind of people susceptible to them will vary across the range of drugs. So whenever you're thinking about drugs from a public health point of view, you'd like to make sure of a number of things. One is that whatever drug is out there on the market is predictable. You know, you know what the alcohol content is, so you know if it's a strong drink or a weak drink. You know that there's no fentanyl in your heroin or no speed in your fentanyl, um, and that your marijuana really is marijuana and what, how potent the strain is. Those are all just basic safety factors if people are going to be using those drugs. But then the second thing is you want to try and have a regulatory system that keeps certain people completely away from any drug. I mean, we don't want 10-year-olds drinking alcohol anymore than we want them to be you know, shooting heroin. And then the next thing you want is to, make, is to try as much as possible to drive people, the whole population, towards safer lower potency products. 
right? So we don't want anybody to smoke cigarettes. Cigarettes are just too dangerous. They, they you know, pretty much they have a very high possibility of causing cancer. Alcohol, you know, although there's certainly some epidemiological fighting about this, generally speaking, a drink, a glass of wine a day, a couple of drinks won't hurt most people. There may even be benefits, although, as I say, that's now under dispute again. Marijuana use on occasion is not associated with serious harm. There is some concern, particularly for younger people, that higher levels of consumption are associated with, you know, behavioral disorders and so on. So, you know, every drug, we'd like fewer people to use them and we'd like them to be older and we'd like them to use safer products. Well, how does the Controlled Substances Act fit into that? Well, not well at all. Because the first thing the Controlled Substances Act did was draw a line between, you know, basically the drugs that people in the elite used when the Controlled Substances Act was designed and the drugs they didn't. So alcohol and tobacco, they weren't included. But marijuana and heroin, drugs of deviance, and and, and I hate to say it also, there was a lot of racism in this, drugs of, you know, you know non-white people were included. And over the years, Schedule One became loaded up with other things that caused panic in the elite or that was used perhaps by some politicians to keep drug panic going. You know, there's a few famous instances in our Schedule One story. You know, there's the story of, of, of Nixon's staff and the idea that the Controlled Substances Act would be a way to arrest black people. They, you know, the Watergate tapes include those statements. There's the story of Timothy Leary and LSD which is on Schedule 1. But for about five or six years before it was scheduled, actually I should say maybe a decade before it was scheduled, the subject of a lot of research that showed it had many health benefits and potential for use in treatment of mental illness. That's something that's coming back now. So the, the scheduling in Schedule 1 was never really about medicine. And it was never really about public health. It was a lot of politics, a lot of misinformation. And I think ultimately was a horrible mistake uh, because it led to lots of people going through lots of jail time and huge amounts of money being spent with pretty much no return on the public health investment. I mean, keep in mind, we have under the Controlled Substances Act and all its strictures and all its schedules, a overdose epidemic that is has been growing for 20 years and which is fueled by people who are able to get whatever drugs they want, or at least whatever drugs are available on the street, regardless of what the DEA does or what the Controlled Substances Act says. In other words, if you step back, you realize we have never controlled drugs <laughs> um, under the Controlled Substances Act. They've always been available. In fact, they tend to be getting cheaper and more available as the years go by. So, you know, the Controlled Substances Act mainly has had the effect of raising the harm of drug use and of doing things like preventing us from exploring the medical benefits of marijuana or LSD. It certainly has never affected criminals, and it's never really affected the everyday user who wants to get some drugs. With regards to marijuana, I want to kind of give us where we are, with 10 being complete legalization, complete decriminization. You can smoke marijuana anywhere, anytime with anyone. With that being a 10 and a one being the war on drugs that we 
are starting to come out at, but you know, through the seventies and eighties and early nineties was at its heyday. Where, what does this move push us with marijuana? Are we getting closer to a 10 or is there still a long way to go? Well, legally, this makes very little difference at all. I mean, it makes no difference to recreational marijuana. So we're, the feds to reschedule marijuana to some lower schedule on the Controlled Substances Act, recreational marijuana would still be just as illegal as recreational use of Oxycontin. A change in schedules would change the medical marijuana business, would probably kill it in its present form. So that's not the change that people are talking about. Um, The change that will bring federal policy in line with the states that have essentially legalized recreational marijuana uh, through decriminalization or through through actually reschedule, you know, getting rid of schedules like Oregon has done, getting rid of the, the crime of personal possession, um, would be for the rescheduling process to go all the way down through the numbered schedules and right out the back door for the attorney general to say, we're not going to schedule marijuana at all. From now on, it's like alcohol. But I think there's no chance that that's going to happen. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 